0: folks welcome back to actually it's phytoplankton the podcast series about ocean ecology and nasa's space mission i'm jamie
1: and i'm lachlan
0: we're from go q remote sensing we're so pleased to have you join us again and learn more about oceanography ocean color science and NASA's space mission let's be go to curious
1: today's episode is called straight to the top because that is where we are going
0: we're going to be asking all our big picture questions to some of nasa's high ups We're joined by the former Acting Deputy Director of NASA Earth Sciences, Dr Paula Bontempi.
1: And PACE Project Scientist, Jeremy Weddell.
0: Today we're wondering, why does NASA study the Earth, and how do they do it? Dr Paula Bontempi, welcome to Actually, It's Phytoplankton. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. First off, uh, we have this question for everyone. What did you want to be when you were 13?
2: Oh my God. What did I want to be when I was 13? Okay. So I would guess um, from the time I was like four, apparently the story goes, I told my parents I wanted to study the ocean. Um, I don't know why or how, but I sort of figured it out later. But yeah, by the time I was 13, I was still committed to it.
0: So Paula, forgive me for not knowing anything about you, but what is your job at NASA? (laughs) Um, Because Lachlan tells me you're very, very important.
2: Oh, well, Lachlan is being very nice. Thank you, Lachlan, for being (laughs) so kind. Um, So I spent 16 and a half years as the program manager in ocean biology and biogeochemistry Um, and also as the program scientist for numerous NASA Earth-observing satellite missions. And the last 16 months, I've spent as the acting deputy director of NASA's Earth Science Division in the science mission directorate and retained my program scientist duties for missions such as the PACE mission, which we're going to talk about, I think.
0: How did you get to be so important?
2: <laughs> I, I'm huge in Germany, like Hasselhoff. No, I'm just <laughs> kidding. Um, I, I, I wouldn't say I'm important. I think everybody on the NASA team is equally as important. And we work as a team. Um, and so, I mean, I had a lot of tremendous mentors. Um, I have been given a lot of tremendous opportunities. And, you know, you watch people and you learn. And the thing I love about NASA is that It's such a dynamic place to work and the work is always evolving, just like the science, the technology, the innovation, the applied work that we do, um, the flight missions. It's always, always changing and there's always opportunity. And I feel like, you know, you'll miss some of those opportunities because there are so many. But if you pay attention, you can actually um, join projects um, such as some of the, the satellite projects in the Earth Science Division that do these amazing things like image, all aspects of the earth and look at the earth holistically as a system. Um, and that really feeds into things like weather forecasting, climate modeling, and things that have impacts on our daily life.
1: As you know, Jamie and I lived in America when I first started working on the pace mission. And at that time, when we told people we were moving to America so I could work with NASA, they were confused because they know me to be an oceanographer and they'd say, but NASA is a space agency. They don't study the earth. Uh, Do you get that a lot too?
2: I mean, this is like the number one question people ask me. How many times I've been on a plane sitting next to somebody and somebody says, what do you do? And I say, I'm an oceanographer by trade. And they said, no kidding, where do you work? And I say, NASA. And they look at you like you have six heads, right? Um, And you explain, you know, NASA has part of their mission dedicated to understanding and protecting our home planet for societal benefit. And we have an Earth Science Division, that sits inside NASA's Science Mission Directorate, where we also have scientists that look at the sun, the universe, other planets, um, and coordinate with some of our other sister agencies domestically and internationally to do so. Uh, And so NASA's Earth Science Division is where I've resided for about 18 years, and it's been around for almost 50. In our first episode, we talked about how PACE is an Earth mission. How many NASA Earth missions are there? Ah, great question. There are 22 orbiting satellite missions that look at the Earth at the moment, including six on the International Space Station, which the Earth Science Division also uses as a platform to observe and um, understand our planet. We have more in formulation, um, and we have a, a pretty strict schedule for launch over the next five to seven years with more ideas coming.
1: Wow, that's a lot. Why do we need so many?
2: Great question. Um, So those orbiting missions look at different aspects of our Earth. Um, Some look at ice, some look at water, some look at the land, some look at the atmosphere, some look at the solid Earth, and it really just depends. And it takes a whole lot of different technologies and approaches and instruments on those satellite missions in different orbits to actually look at different aspects of the Earth, but also put them together and look at the Earth as a system. And that's something very important in Earth science. Um, In addition, we are always investing as a country and as an agency in new technology. And those new technologies enable new observations of our Earth. So when we don't know something about our Earth, we are thinking about ways we can build a sensor that can be put on orbit to look at our Earth in the aspect that we don't understand.
0: Why did NASA decide it needed a
2: mission like PACE? Uh, okay, so this is like, you know, one of the most important things to say is that you cannot just develop a satellite mission overnight and launch it a year later, okay? The, the missions at NASA average between five and seven years from concept through formulation to launch. So it takes quite a while, and it's a very important, very uh, precise build of an instrument and a mission and a launch vehicle and everything else, and to fit it all together and actually bring the data down in a format that can be used by scientists and researchers. And so way back when, um, in about 2007, we received some direction from the National Academy of Sciences in the United States that a mission like PACE would be worthwhile. And it took us until about 2011 to come up with a draft plan how to execute it. So, some people say, you know, the PACE mission really began its formulation in 2015, but I actually remember writing the justification for the mission back in 2010 and seeing it published in 2011, which is when my work on the mission began. Um, I will just also add that some other scientists and engineers at NASA have been working on the advanced instrument concepts that will be on the PACE mission to look at the oceans and the atmosphere of our Earth um, 20, 25 years ago. So for some people, it really, truly is a labor of love that lasts a lifetime.
1: I'm told by Ivana that you do a lot of interviews. So I'm wondering what question would you like to answer that you never get asked?
2: Oh, what I would love to know, um, is, well, a couple of things come to mind. It's like, where do I start? I, I, first of all, I can't believe you asked me that. Thank you for saying that. <laughs> um, <laughs> You know, to me, I I am really focused on how we get more students of all denominations interested in science, in oceanography, in space. Um, and if they are really super interested and they can't find a way to get into those fields or a pathway there, you know, how we make that happen. Um, And lately, we've been talking a lot about diversity in STEM fields and how we encourage that. And so, you know, I would not only like to answer that there's a ton of opportunity at NASA from high school students and up in internships, Um, we advertise all the time. Um, So if you were ever wondering about coming to work for NASA, or if you were interested in any aspect of Earth science or space science or human space flight and exploration, Um, I want to tell people that that opportunity is available. And I also want to hear from people about, you know, pathways and opportunities that they think NASA and other agencies and institutions can create to bring people and enable people um, to go into the STEM fields.
0: So every episode, we have a game or activity that listeners can do at home. Today, we're playing Which Phytoplankton Are You? Do you want to play, Paula? I would to <laughs> play. No way. I'm
2: kind of excited. Oh,
0: but great. I'm probably going to be
2: something, you know, harmful, which makes me cry, but okay.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a lot of harmful ones I'm discovering. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but they're also important yes. as well. Yeah, they have an harmful. ecological niche. Agreed. Okay. So, listeners, you can find the link to the game in the episode two resource pack at gotocurious.com. It's kind of a BuzzFeed style quiz, like which friend's character are you? Paula, before we start, I want you to tell me what your favorite phytoplankton is, and then we'll see how the game turns out.
2: Oh my God, my favorite phytoplankton. God, I was a taxonomist before I went into optics and remote sensing. Now you're just throwing the gauntlet. Um- <laughs> No, no, this pressure. is, this is <laughs> No, it really is. Um so one of the ones I really like is um the that can be connected with things that look like tiny strings. I I worked for a woman who was the international expert in it, but yeah, that's one of the ones I remember most vividly just being absolutely beautiful. Okay,
0: well let's see what your personality
2: lines up with. What
0: did you say this is like? Look on the Briggs Myers test for yeah. fighter plane. Oh god. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, let's play. Go ahead, Lucky.
1: Okay. One, what are you most likely doing at a party? A, out on the dance floor. B, trying to connect with new people. C, hanging out with people I know. Or D, thinking about an exit strategy.
2: <laughs> Probably C, talking to people I know. What is your preferred
0: activity at the beach, lake, or pool? A, chilling on my floaty. B, swimming like a champ. C dog paddling or D. Yikes, I'm afraid I might sink.
2: Oh, I'd probably be somewhere between A and B, but these days I'd probably go with A.. Hey, <laughs>
0: chilling. Yeah. I'm the first.
1: <laughs> For your next vacation, what type of climate would you prefer? A, the warmer the better. B, not too hot, not too cold. C, cool and crisp, gets my blood going. or D. Anywhere. I love to see the world.
2: Uh, D. Anywhere I'd love to
0: see the world. Okay, this is the last one. What is your favourite colour to wear or colours to wear? A. Reds or pinks. B. Greens or blues. C. Neutral colours. Or D. I'm not picky. Um, Probably B blue, B. blue or green, yeah. Okay. All right, that's everything. Submit.
1: Uh-oh.
0: Okay, Paul, you got... And I know how to say this now, thanks to Ivana. Sinecococcus. Ah, all it right. looks like a sausage to me. I, I think
1: with <laughs> some
0: like, ketchup you on top. Said, you said it perfectly. <laughs> yeah. She taught me. Um, That's singular, funny. bountiful, and highly adaptable. Let's learn a little bit more about Sinecococcus. Single-celled Sinecoccus is found throughout the world's ocean, yet was not discovered until 1977. Mm-hmm. Why? It is about 50 times smaller than the width of human hair. Whoa. That's very, very small. A bountiful primary producer, it can use the scarce nutrients and trace materials available in the open ocean. You can also adapt its pigments to absorb the available light in different colours, even at low concentrations. This trick makes it the microchameleon of the seas, which is much easier to remember and pronounce than... Sinecococcus, which Jamie can now say really well. And listeners, I hope you have also learned to say Sinecococcus really well.
1: Does that uh, fit you, Paula, a Sinecoccus? Sinecococcus. Um,
2: <laughs> you know what's funny? Um, it does. And I would say, like, If you asked me these questions when I was 25, I probably would have been like out on the dance floor, you know, (laughs) and now that I'm like a little bit older, I think I've adapted to my surroundings a number of times. So yeah, I'd say it's probably pretty fitting. Awesome. Thanks so much for joining us, Paula. It was such a pleasure to have you on our little show. Oh, thank you so much for the invitation. And it's been a pleasure. I hope everybody knows a little bit more about NASA and Earth Science and the PACE mission at this point. But thank you so much.
0: Our next guest is Dr. Jeremy Wardell, PACE project scientist. How's it going, Jeremy?
3: I'm doing well. Thanks for asking. Family is managing. Happy to be here. How are you? Excellent.
0: We're very, very well.
1: Okay, let's get straight into it. What did you want to be when you were 13?
3: Actually, I'm glad you picked 13 because that's right around the age when I started to figure it out. I was lucky enough in the public school system I went to to uh, take a class that landed me in Bermuda for a week to study. And from that point on, I knew that I wanted to be some kind of marine scientist. And I didn't know how to articulate it. So <laughs> a I brain said scientist? I was going to be a <laughs> pirate.
0: Whoops. I thought Jeremy said brain scientist, <laughs> which I did not understand. He actually said marine scientist.
3: Um. <laughs> But that uh, that evolved into marine biologist, and then now I am an oceanographer, which is not the same thing, but 13 years old, wanted to study the water, wanted to be on the water. It didn't matter how I got there, but that's what I wanted to do.
0: Awesome. Am I right in thinking that you teach that course now in Bermuda as well?
3: I just retired from it, but yeah, 17 years. Uh, went back, got to know the uh, the instructors, said hello to some of my old teachers, and um got to get involved and give back to uh, the town that I grew up in.
0: So what is it that you do now, Jeremy? What's your job at NASA?
3: <laughs> well, I'm living the oceanographic dream. Um, NASA is not a place that you actually think there would be oceanography, um, but I'm a satellite oceanographer. I use satellites and aircraft to study the ocean. Um, it, the joke about living the dream is I don't spend a lot of time on boats. I don't see the water every day. I study it from space. Um But it's a very interesting way to look at our home planet. What Project Scientist means is that I am the heart and soul in a way of guiding the science capabilities of a new mission. And there's a lot of wonderful people we work with who try to decide how we can do new and cool and innovative things with satellites. And we're building a new satellite. And that's um, really exciting. And that pretty much takes up all of my time.
1: Now, are you as important as Paula?
3: I would never be so bold as to suggest that I am (laughs) as important as Paula, let alone (laughs) any of my headquarters colleagues and friends. Uh, It's a different kind of important. Um, When you work at headquarters at a place like NASA, you really need to have this amazing vision of where the agency and the nation is going to go in their studies. And they direct work to different NASA centers and different institutions. And I reside at one of those. So project scientist is important in a very different way. Um, My job is getting a very specific project built in a way that it can be successful. So important, but not as much as Paula, no way.
0: So this is a super easy question. Can you explain to us what remote sensing is, please?
3: (laughs) Sure. (laughs) The, um, the way I like to think about it is it is studying something without actually touching it. So in, in the story of trying to study the ocean, remote sensing is observing features and patterns of the ocean without ever actually laying fingers on any of the water itself. And the reason that this is powerful is that you can see huge amounts over space and time whereas touching every parcel of water is really, really hard. And so you achieve remote sensing uh, through aircraft or satellites, and there's a couple of different ways to do it. Um, You can be active, like you can send sound or light or lasers down and see how it interacts, or you can just sit and observe. And the remote sensing that we do sits and observe. We watch how sunlight interacts with the atmosphere in the ocean and changes its color and we just watch but by watching and looking at changes without ever touching the water by just remotely sensing the water we can see some really fascinating things that teach us about earth cool thank you
1: okay challenge time i'm giving you 60 seconds to tell us everything about pace are you ready
3: you're going to tell me when to go
0: Yeah, we'll
3: to count you down. down. All right. And then we'll
0: buzz you. We'll buzz you when time's up. No way. Okay. Yes. (laughs) Ready? Three, two,
3: one, One, go. Okay. So NASA maintains a fleet of Earth-observing satellites designed to study oceans, atmospheres, and land, as well as how they all interact. And PACE is NASA's next huge investment in the combined study of ocean and atmospheres. And it's going to look at our home planet in ways that this existing fleet of satellites cannot. Its primary purpose is to greatly improve the detection of phytoplankton. thus my appearance on this podcast. And we study phytoplankton from space by looking at the color of the ocean. But current satellites only look at a couple of wavelengths of the rainbow. A couple of colors, if you will. So think about boxes of crayons. If I asked you to draw an amazing landscape, a beautiful picture, would you want a box of eight crayons? Or a box of 64 or more crayons. Back to satellites, right now our satellites are like a box of eight crayons. Pace is the box of 64. So for the first time ever, we're gonna look at all of the colors second, of rainbows globally every single day. And this will allow us to study phytoplankton in ways that we can only now begin to imagine. <laughs>
0: Time's up, time's up, time's up, Jeremy.
3: I was just going to tell you the launch date, but I guess nobody will ever know it now. <laughs> no, go, go my ahead. Last That's the Forget it, though. <laughs> never Cuphead, mind.
0: Go ahead. Go you out.
3: You're going to buzz out. We should hear the launch, date. <laughs> the launch we'll date, let, we'll date. We'll let him finish.
0: <laughs> no, we're just going to learn all about Pace and then never know when it's
3: going. <laughs> so it's an amazing <laughs> <place> thing. <laughs> I told you everything about it, but now you'll never know when it launches.
0: <laughs>
3: so it's going to launch in 2023. Okay, great. <laughs> Come on. I, I love to be most yeah, specific, yeah, but it's difficult to build a satellite when you're working from home.
0: That, that is true. That it's must important to be, very hard. be home now.
3: Stay home. It's good to be home.
0: You did really well with our challenge, Jeremy. Thank you.
3: <laughs> I, I took so, a class on elevator speeches to get ready.
0: <laughs> well, in our first episode, we learned a lot about phytoplankton, uh, which we know now is the first letter in PACE. However... So far, we really don't know much about the rest of the acronym, only phytoplankton. So can you tell us the story of each of the other letters of PACE, the ACE, if you will? Oh, sure.
3: Okay. So uh, just to get it out of the way, the ACE stands for aerosols, clouds, and then lowercase ocean, capital ecosystems. So aerosols, clouds, and ocean ecosystems. So one of my earlier statements – to you all, was that this is combined study of oceans and atmospheres. So we talk a lot about phytoplankton, but there's a lot that goes on the ocean that is um, complementary to how phytoplankton behave. And that's where the ocean ecosystems come in. How do fisheries respond to changing phytoplankton food webs? How do rivers influence coastal ecosystems? We'll study that as well. And then moving closer to space, you have aerosols and clouds. Clouds, most folks are familiar with. Uh, aerosols, maybe a little bit more abstract. What we're talking about are tiny particles that you can't see sometimes, you can see sometimes, but are all over our atmosphere. And some of them are just as simple as sea salt, and some are as irregular and complex as you know, dust from a desert or um, some kind of smogger pollution from a big city. And to learn how our planet is changing over time, you have to look at those things as well as ocean behavior, and you have to do it together. And so PACE is actually a three-instrument system designed to study all of that, plus land, all at once. That's a lot. It's a <laughs> lot. It keeps us working.
1: For the listeners, Jamie and I know Jeremy from back in the day when we lived in America, and I know that he gives lots of interviews. Just wondering if there is a question that you'd like to answer that you never get asked.
3: Yeah, I'd be happy to. I have a curiosity why I rarely ever get asked, why should I care about a mission like PACE? It's cool technology, and people want to know about that. But, you know, you spend hundreds of millions of dollars to launch a satellite to study the ocean and the atmosphere and things that you don't see every day. Like, I don't live in view of water. So why should I care about the health of the water? And so I rarely get asked, why should I care about this? And you know the answer, at least with regards to phytoplankton that I usually like to give on the rare occasion someone's asked are, well, let me turn the question around and ask you two things. Do you like eating? And do you like yes. breathing?
0: Yes. And if the yes. answer
3: to either of those is yes then you love phytoplankton, whether you know it or not. And the same we may have stolen that from
0: you, Jeremy. Oh, really? <laughs>
3: yeah. We
0: may have stolen that from you for our first episode.
3: Oh, well, that's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> I'm
0: glad. If you like to breathe food and
1: breathe, breathe food. <laughs> you <laughs> are aspirated and we need to call 911.
0: <laughs> yes. If you like to <laughs> eat food and breathe air, you should thank phytoplankton, we say in our first episode. So I think we might have... Right. Um, we may have stolen that from you,
3: but that's I, okay. Hey, that is <laughs> wonderful. Uh, I am flattered in the fact that you even asked it. Then that makes me happy because I never <laughs> asked that. And we can turn it around. That you know, air pollution is bad, so we should understand that. Warming atmosphere is uncomfortable. Why should you care? It's a questioned. Uh, it's it's an important question, and there there are good answers. Everybody should be invested in in um, you know this community of of study and research.
0: Now, Jeremy, before we play, which phytoplankton are you? Can you tell me what is your favorite phytoplankton?
3: I actually have two, but I will pick one. Um, yeah. I have two projects. One is for harmful phytoplankton, some mm. dangerous cyanobacteria, and the other is for open ocean, really cool um, gyre, you know, deep water type phytoplankton called Synechococcus. And since this is oh. a happy podcast, I'm going to pick Synechococcus.
0: That So that is the one that Paula landed on when she w- did the quiz with us. And,
3: and let's go and, with. And so how do you say it?
0: <laughs> and I bragged as well <laughs> about being able to say it properly because Ivana taught me Synecococcus. So how do you say it?
3: Improperly. Synecococcus.
0: Okay. <laughs> Synec- okay synecococcus, uh, uh, I heard. I
1: said it completely wrong. I was like <laughs> saying. A, anyway.
0: Let's play the game. All right. All right. All right.
1: Let's play the quiz. Which
0: phytoplankton are you? What are you most likely doing at a party? A, out on the dance floor. B, trying to connect with new people. C, hanging out with people I know. Or D, thinking about an exit strategy.
3: C, hanging out with people I know. What is your preferred
1: activity at the beach, lake, or pool? A, chilling, chilling on my floaty. floaty. B, swimming like a champ. C, dog paddling. D,
3: yikes, I'm afraid I might sink. Chilling on my floaty and not just because of how well you harmonized it.
0: (laughs) For your next vacation, which type of climate would you prefer? A, the warmer the better. B, not too hot, not too cold. C, cool and crisp gets my blood going. Or D, anywhere, I love to see the world.
3: Given the world we live in today, I'm going with D. Get me out of here.
1: And finally, what are your favorite colors to wear? A, reds or pinks. B, greens or blues. C, neutral colors. Or D, I'm not picky.
3: Greens and blues.
0: Greens and blues.
1: Da, 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 da.
3: Cool.
0: Submit. Thinking. Also, Seneca Coccus. Hey. <laughs> you got your wish. Ah. Singular, bountiful, highly adaptable. And we've already uh, read out the information about Coccus because Paula also came to this phytoplankton as well, so I won't read it again.
1: Singular, bountiful, highly adaptable. Jeremy, do you think that describes your personality? Oh, totally bountiful. I am bountiful.
3: It's somewhat adaptable. <laughs>
0: okay thank you so much jeremy it's been so nice to have you on our show today
3: it's my pleasure this was a lot of fun thanks so much for inviting me
0: Uh uh-oh i forgot to ask paula and jeremy star wars or star trek lucky what am i gonna do
1: i reckon we email them and find out
0: okay so we did And and this is what paula said and she said a lot Wait, what are we talking about here? The original Star Wars movie from 1978 versus the original Star Trek series on TV? Because if you pit Wrath of Khan against Attack of the Clones, no comparison. She goes on to say, I'd even go so far as to say Next Generation was actually a pretty good show. It was. Data kind of freaked me out a little, but he, he did. was cool. And he was cool. And I'd take that over Attack of the Clones any day, but never over Empire. I really feel that Paula put a lot of thought into this. Thank you, Paula.
1: Thank you, Paula. And uh, what does Jeremy say?
0: Okay, so Jeremy says, I will offer that I am a deep fan of both, with fond memories of watching all of the above with my parents and later my friends. But from a nostalgic view, I choose Star Wars because A New Hope was the first movie I saw in a theatre. Several good friends and I still connect and nerd out when new movies are released the Burger King glasses with a bomb, and I can quote more Star Wars than Star Trek.
1: Oh, and he has some discussion topics that he'd like to pursue further.
0: I think that's a different podcast. Sorry, Jeremy.
1: Shall we read them? No. Okay.
0: (laughs) Thank you. And that brings us to the end of our second show. Thank you so much for tuning in at home, and I want to extend our gratitude to Paula and Jeremy for sharing their incredible knowledge.
1: Now it's your turn to play which phytoplankton are you? Click the link on the Episode 2 Resource Pack at gotocurious.com. Let us know how you went by sharing your phytoplankton certificate on
0: our Facebook. And we have two more Go To Curious Science Packs to give away this week for our super fans. Details are on our Facebook regarding how to enter the draw. These packs are designed especially for you if you're in Grade 7, 8 or 9, and your parents can enter the draw on your behalf if you don't have a Facebook. Join us again next week for Episode 3. Beep bop! Boop! Spacecraft and mission operations with PACE project manager Andre Dress and PACE mission systems engineer Gary Davis. See you next week! Actually, it's Phytoplankton is a go to curious production, proudly supported by an advanced Queensland Engaging Science grant provided by the Queensland Government. Thank you to NASA Goddard Space Flight Center Ocean Ecology Laboratory for collaborating with us. Providing in kind support and credited use of education and outreach resources. Special thanks to Ivana Setinich and Lachlan McKinna, who work with me behind the scenes in the writing and preparation of the series. Our theme song and all podcast music is composed by me, Jamie Cole. I also edit the series and create the supporting materials on our website, go to curious.com, in collaboration with Ivana and Lachlan. Logos, website, and social banners designed by Boone Creative. Our custom podcast t-shirts and totes are made especially for kids by Zay and B Designs.